Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15. Well, and, and what I would also say is I've never been more excited about uh, what God uh, is doing and uh, what I think God is going to do through our church in the days ahead. I heard you had a great week last week. You know, two weeks ago I said, don't play hooky. I'm going to be gone, but don't play hooky. Come to church. But I didn't say have a really great day while I'm gone. <laughs> don't have my new granddaughter here without me. You know, don't have great music without me. You know, I mean, doggone it. You had a good time and I wasn't here and I missed it. So uh, I'm glad to be back. Uh, that's where I went to school. Looks pretty, uh, you know, looks like a school. It's Baptist Bible Seminary of Clark Summit, Pennsylvania. It's near Scranton, as I learned while I was there, the home of the Scranton, e- uh, Scranton Yankees, which is the AAA farm team uh, for, uh, for the Yankees. And uh, at least two of those, brother- those boys are brothers in the Lord. They came and shared at a chapel. And uh, one of them got called up last week. He's a left-handed reliever named Mike Dunn. So I told my Sunday school class, if, if the Yankees beat the Mariners and Mike Dunn pitches the last few innings, say, well, at least he's a brother. <laughs> okay, so remember that. Uh, the Lord's doing a work there as uh, everywhere uh, in just so many ways. Um, there is a college and a seminary. The college would be similar to uh, Western Baptist, now called Corbin, or similar to uh, the Master's College or, or, or Cedarville or those type of schools. A Christian college gives accredited degrees uh, in both ministry and other fields like education. And then there's a seminary, and uh, Baptist Bible Seminary. It's been around for like 70 years. This is my classroom, and, and uh, I know it's not good to show a fuzzy picture, but the lighting wasn't that great. This is my teacher, Dan Austin, and uh, there was about uh, 15 students. That's, that's my bald spot right there. And uh, No, actually, that's my, that's my neighbor's bald spot. I, I sat right there. I sat right there, and uh, I was in good company. <laughs> What's that? Yeah, mine's bigger than that, yeah. That's the way my bald spot was eight years ago. <laughs> um, my class was called Training Ministries in the Church, and that's just a broad handle for virtually everything in the church that we, we used to call it Christian education. We didn't talk about preaching, we didn't talk about counseling, we didn't talk about music, so everything else uh, came under the umbrella uh, of, of uh, our class. was in class uh, three hours a day, and then homework about three hours a day uh, for the two weeks that I was there. Um, uh, we had chapel every day, um, and uh, they, they do classes in different kinds of schedules, so... There was our class and a couple of other small classes that were there. Next week there will be different classes. That's why there's not a lot of students there at one time. But we had, had chapel service every day as well. And here's where I spent a fair amount of my time. This is my computer and, and stuff, my Diet Pepsi, as you can see, in the seminary reading room, which is an extremely intimidating place because I couldn't even pronounce the titles on most of the books. Uh, Timber could have, you know, the, the Hebrew and the Greek and and all kinds of things, but there was a little section for us uh, us uh, folks and uh, had to read 500 pages out of 10 different books. And that's 50 per book, not 500 out of each one of them. 
and uh, kind of like drinking at a, uh, at a fire hydrant, as you say. And uh, although in the class, it was just one step below that, so I could take it in. But boy, it was so much great stuff. Just really learned a lot of things. And I have a word for you uh, young folks uh, starting up school again. Okay, I had to do homework every day, and I still have homework. I have a paper I have to do in the next two weeks. Um, I have to evaluate a part of our ministry according to what I learned. And uh, so I'm, I'm doing homework, and I have another class I'm taking besides this class, which is like using online uh, from the teacher and so on. And so i got a whole bunch of homework to do for that. i got five books to read besides all of the other stuff that we're going to do. I'm, I'm, I'm on number three right now. But here's the thing that I learned this week that I didn't know when I was in school. Um, I thought homework was just something that the teacher used to like, you know, uh, uh, what's the word, torture you with when you weren't in class. You know, oh, you're out of class, so here's a bunch of work for you to do, just so you feel uncomfortable then and now. And, but I learned this week that the homework really reinforced what the teacher wanted me to learn. And so I gave it my best effort, and I, and I found that the homework actually, it, it sort of made me really remember what I was supposed to be learning. And consequently, I think some stuff really got stuck in my head. And, uh, and so I just want to encourage you that homework can be really valuable and uh, would encourage you to approach things that way. The title of my message today is What I Learned in School. And uh, the first thing that I learned in school is that we are doing a very good job in many ways. Um, one of the books that I read said that we need to greet people in the parking lot at the door, in the foyer, and in the auditorium. Well, we're almost there. And uh, I'm pretty sure people know that we are glad to see them when they come to church. So good job on that. Um, from what I heard in the chapel service and at the church that I went to, I would say we do an excellent job in worship. We have wonderful musicians who love the Lord, and I, I would just say good job again. We've also done an excellent job maintaining our giving in these challenging days. There's a large church that's uh, right across the street from the seminary, and uh, they've had to make some significant changes in their ministry because of the economic challenges they're facing. And, and I know the Lord has a hand in that, but, but I also know you have a hand in it too. And so I just want to say, uh, hey, good job. I've learned that many churches let their focus get inward to the extent that they really don't seem to be concerned so much about people getting saved and becoming disciples. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you want more people to become followers of Christ. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So I think our, you know, our perspective is where it needs to be. And not only that, but we want to make disciples around the world. And we're, we want that to happen so much that we're, we're willing to give generously and to try to make that happen as best we can. I, I would say that in the things that I've read and the things that I'd heard in class in the last two weeks, I would say we're headed in the right direction. I really believe that. And, uh, but I didn't, uh, I didn't need to travel you know, 3,000 miles one way to figure that out. I already knew that. But I did learn some things that I think are going to help us move forward. And the first one that I want to share with you this morning, the only one that I want to share with you this morning is this. Oh, there's the rest of my outline. Forgive me if this is a little disjointed today. Uh, 
had a long day yesterday traveling back, and, and uh, we've communicated back and forth with the email, but if, if you don't understand computers, this won't mean anything to you, but these files are really large, and it's hard to move them and hard to get things just right in the email. Um, what I learned that I want to challenge you with today is this. I think if we're going to reach more people for the Lord, and if we're going to make more disciples, and by saying that, Again, the goal is not to grow. The goal is that there are unsaved people who need to know the Lord. And and if we ask the question, how are we going to reach more unsaved folks? How are we going to make more disciples? I believe the answer starts here. We need to be more purposeful. This is not something that's foreign to us. This is something that's part of us, but needs to be strengthened. So... I've been in class all week, so we're going to have a little class time today. So, uh, so class, what is the purpose of our church? Oh, you read it on the bulletin. You're too smart. There's actually two pieces there that's on the front of your bulletin, and we're going to separate them today. The first is this. If we say, what's the purpose of our church? The purpose is to glorify God. That is the purpose of our lives, that is the purpose of the church, that is the purpose of God's creation. And it's summarized in a verse that we know well, 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, whatever turn your life takes, what God wants from you is to bring honor to Him. Now we know that that is our goal as a church, that has to be our goal. If we have some other goal, we're not a church. But the question is, how do we get there? And that's this little word here, mission. What is the activity that's going to take us to that purpose? And that is on the front of your bulletin. And it's this statement right here. We exist to help people find peace and purpose through relationship with God. Look with me at 1 Corinthians 15. Verse 24 through 28. As we would think about our purpose, these verses verbalize it in a, in a, a slightly unique way from the way we normally would. 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 24. He's talking about the resurrection of Christ, then he's talking about the future, and he says, Then comes the end when Christ delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death, for he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. Now, when all things are made subject to Christ, then the Son himself excuse me, to God, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him. And here's a key phrase, that God may be all in all. If you want to think of our purpose of glorifying God in the real long-term perspective of eternity, where is this world headed? This world is headed to a point at which God will be all in all where sin will be completely pushed out of the universe into a place called hell, where no unrighteousness will exist and everything will be perfect in Christ, and God will be all in all. 
There will be no other purposes. There will be no other meaning. Right now, that is supposed to be the purpose, but there are other things that grab our attention, and there are other things in the world pushing us one way and another. There is coming a day when God will be all in all. That's where we're headed. As we make disciples now, we help them come into that purpose. As we, bring, uh, as we do our part to help other people come to know Christ as Savior, they start glorifying God. We, we essentially increase the number of people that are bringing honor to Him. Now, when we th- that's, that's the purpose. How does it happen? Look back in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 15. These familiar verses here, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel that I preach to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which you are saved, if you hold fast the word that I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. Drop down to verse 20. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits after those who are Christ at his coming. God says, look, Christ died because we are sinners. He died and was buried and rose again. And when you believe that truth, you become a disciple. When you believe that truth, you become a disciple and you, have, you start to honor God with your life. Here it is in some familiar verses. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. We're familiar with these verses. We call them the Great Commission. It talks about making disciples. How do you make a disciple? You make a disciple by sharing the gospel, and they believe, baptize them as an outward demonstration of that faith, teach them the Christian life and help them live it, and then lead them to make other disciples. And so what we've done in our purpose statement, in our mission statement, is verbalize the truth in terms of its impact. Now think with me for a minute about this. We could have said it's our purpose to glorify God by making disciples. Boom, boom, done. But what we've done is state it in terms of its impact. When a person becomes a disciple, two notable things change in their life. And the first one is this. They come to have peace with God. They have peace with God. How does peace with God come? Turn to Romans chapter 5, if you would. Romans 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, the word justified means to be made righteous. We become righteous when we believe in Christ as our Savior. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace 
with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. And perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. Now, hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die... Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. When we come to know Christ as Savior, we are no longer separated from God. We become the children of God, and we have the privilege of having God as our Father. And one of the greatest parts of that privilege that's stated here is this. We are on our way to heaven. We are on our way to escaping wrath. Peace comes when we can look into the future and say, I don't know about tomorrow, but I know who holds my hand. That's where peace comes from. When I can say, I know I have believed in Christ. And when you do that, the Holy Spirit comes in, Romans 8 says, and he says, he he witnesses together your spirit and his spirit together so that we know we are the children of God and we cry out, Abba, Father, and we have peace with God. And all of a sudden, as we look forward to the end of our lives, it's not something to be feared Not something to be uh, looking forward to tomorrow, but something that we can look forward to and say, boy, when that day comes, I am ready. I'm at peace. And that peace of knowing God breeds out, verses 3, 4, and 5, to peace with our circumstances. Look at how 1 Corinthians 15, 56, and 57 put it. The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are in the business of honoring God by helping people come to peace with God. The reason that we have stated our mission statement in terms of impact, is on some level, people who don't know the Lord yet can look at that and say, okay, you're trying to help people live in peace. That's a good thing. Maybe there's something there for me. We're trying to to say, what are we about? We want to help people live in peace. But it goes on to say also, we want to help people have a purpose in their life. We want them to know the purposefulness of God. Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes about 1,200 years before Christ. And he basically was trying to answer the question, why are we here? What are we supposed to occupy our time with? And several hundred years after Solomon, who was a a believer in God, 
After he made his philosophical inquiry, there were the folks that we call the ancient Greek philosophers, and they were inquiring after the same thing, but without God in the equation. Why are we here? How should we be living? Now, I, I know that many folk today don't ask that question commonly. And the reason they don't is they're busy in life. They're going about, doing their thing, getting up, going to work, eating dinner, repeat, tomorrow, so on, so on. And, and everything's cool until something interrupts the rhythm. And then all of a sudden they, they start thinking, what's going on here? And if they think enough, <laughs> maybe the Lord will use that to draw them to himself and us as his servants. Um, do we have Ecclesiastes here? Yes. Listen to what Solomon wrote. Now again, Solomon's research is done as a human being looking at human life. Look what he says. There is a severe evil which I have seen under the sun. Riches kept for their owner to his hurt, but those riches perish through misfortune. When he begets a son, there is nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, naked shall he return to go as he came, and he shall take nothing from his labor which he may carry away in his hand. And this also is a severe evil. Just exactly as he came, so shall he go. And what profit has he who has labored for the wind? All his days he also eats in darkness, and he has much sorrow and sickness and anger. Wow, did you know that was in the Bible? <laughs> I think, well, I don't want to read that very often. That's Solomon looking at life and saying, what's the purpose? People are born, people die, and they die the same way they were born. In other words, they, they, you can't take it with them. That's where this comes from. And looking at life just humanly, there is no purpose. And if you have known the Lord for some time, I guarantee you that you don't realize how purposeless people feel. They're casting about trying to figure out what will make their life work. Read a thing on the plane on the way home yesterday. Some famous hip-hop musician who was in a plane crash and was severely injured, and he's the only one that survived a year ago and just recently overdosed himself. Can't figure it out. Can't make life work. Just going to end it all. That's the extreme example of purposelessness. Well, what do we have to offer people? What do we have to offer people for purpose in their life? Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. We often think about heaven as a place where we will go and it will be nice, not hot. And that's good. But have you really thought about what you do now being sent on ahead? Don't lay up the treasure on earth, but lay up for yourself treasure in heaven. We often quote this passage and say now, you know, Give more to the church and less to your savings account or whatever. And that's a valid, there's a, there's a validity there. But here's what I want you to think about. What you do for the Lord becomes permanent. 
What you do for the Lord becomes permanent. Uh, I built a fence. I got Dave Hubbard to come and spray stain on it so it's beautiful. does a great job with the paint sprayer. My fence will fall down. It's just a matter of time. I hope I'm not there. Okay? It is not permanent. My house is not permanent. My beautiful, beautiful car is not permanent. It isn't. But I can send stuff to heaven that's permanent. I can make a difference in the world and gain a reward for myself in eternity. When we have a relationship with God, when he is our father and Christ is our savior, we can lay up treasure in heaven. That is, our activity here can have permanent value with God. Every righteous action you take is eternal. Kids, when you obey your mom and dad out of a good heart for the Lord, you need to think, hey, I just made something eternal. In heaven, someday, there will be a reward for your righteousness. As, as silly as that may sound, every act of righteousness will be recognized by God, and it will be an eternal reward. God verbalizes it in terms of a crown. Now, we're not much about wearing crowns. We're not much about the monarchy, those kinds of things. But in the day that the Bible was written, when you recognized, say, an athlete who won, they would take a crown and put it on his head. It was, it was like now wearing a gold medal from the Olympics. And God says, when we get to heaven, he is going to give us gold medals for the things we've done for him. Now, that's not fair. It's not fair because you could never do anything for God if he didn't first save you and give you a spiritual gift and help you to obey and all of those things. But it certainly is wonderful. Every righteous action will become eternal. Every righteous prayer you pray accomplishes eternal purposes. Every dime you give with a genuine heart is deposited in eternity's bank. And the interest is out of this world. It pays back reward crowns from God. And more than that, it pays back his approval. Well done, good and faithful servant. Every song you sing with a sincere heart of praise to God lasts forever. God is in heaven rejoicing today and rejoicing in the future in your righteousness. Every time you share God's word, the impact of your words lasts forever. Now, not everybody you share the truth with will believe in Christ. I know that. But God is still going to be glorified by your sharing of his truth. And certainly as we think about ministry, this is where the rubber really starts to meet the road. My parents made disciples of two young ladies who in turn made disciples of me and my sister. And me and my sister are out trying to make disciples of other people. Some of you sitting here today have been impacted for eternity by this church. We've heard some testimonies of how God has worked, not just through me, but through us. The teaching of God's word, the love of the fellowship, and we have made an eternal impact.
As such, if you have been a, a, a genuine, heartfelt participant in this church, you've already been sending stuff forward even if you didn't know it. That's what makes my life purposeful. And so the question is, where are you investing your life? A career? Politics? Fame? Fortune? Pleasure? What are you doing? I mean, we have the potential to do eternal things. Where did that letter go? No, I can't find it now from Tim Newfelt. Ah. Tim, where'd you go? Well, let me just try to recap what I learned from a a letter. There it is. Our missionary in Togo, West Africa, Tim and Esther Neufeld. A little piece from their newsletter just came in this morning. Esther continues a Bible study with two women, along with her ministry of hospitality. On Thursday evening, we had 26 people over for dinner, not counting Esther and me. I'll send pictures. If you're not signed up for Tim and Esther's weekly letter, you need to get it. And I will give you that address, an email. It's an email, and they send pictures frequently. Uh, African sauce and rice make that affordable, make 26 people for dinner affordable and possible. This time it was Nogbeji's, if I'm pronouncing that right, Nogbeji's family. This is one of their national partners in ministry. His two Muslim helpers and all the apprentices... The house was full, and after dinner, we watched Magdalena, which is the story of Jesus as seen from the eyes of a woman. Our Muslim apprentices, see, they have Muslims working for them. And, you know, if you don't know this, this is one of the prime methodologies of our missionaries. They hire Muslims, or whatever nationality they're in, they hire them to work with them, and sooner or later, they come to know the Lord, and usually become prime workers in the ministry. Our, you know, he, they have guards at their house, and they're Muslims, unbelievers. Our Muslim apprentices wept openly when they saw how our Lord was beaten and crucified. We don't push people here, but we do our best to introduce them to Jesus and to show them what he did for us. Now, here's the kicker. It was gratifying to hear yesterday from a Christian brother that one of our guards, one of their unbeliever guards, told him, we must be real Christians, since they have never before been treated this kindly by anyone. In case you didn't know it, I'm married to the virtuous woman of Proverbs 31. (laughs) Now, what are you investing your life in? We all look around the world and go, oh, isn't it terrible? The world's going to hell in a handbasket. Yeah, it is, but you can make a difference. And we have the opportunity to tell people out there, your life can have meaning. Yeah, it's kind of purposeless. It's kind of drifting. You're just kind of doing this and that every day. But let me tell you what you could do. We exist to help people find peace with God, and then out of that peace with God, they can have purpose through serving God. Wow. That's what we're about. Now, how can we improve that? How can we improve that? Two points. Number one, we need to constantly test our work against our purpose. 
See, what happens to churches, and it happens to Christians too, is we, we fall into busyness. Well, we're busy. We're busy. We're doing, just look at our bulletin. Stuff's going on. Boo, boo, boo. We are really, and the pews are feel full, almost. We've got room for a few more folks, which is great. I'm not demeaning that. But if all we say is the pews are full and we're busy, therefore we're successful, we're missing the boat. What is success is when somebody starts having peace and purpose who didn't have it before. Do you know some people who need some peace and purpose? Boy, that's what we're after. And so we need to... We need to constantly test our work against our purpose. Okay, here's what we're doing. Now, how is it helping us to to actually help people find peace and purpose with God? And, 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 boy, here's the hard part. Here's the hard part. We've got to be just a little bit brutal with ourselves. We've got to be just a little bit honest and say, you know, that horse is dead. Let's put it out of its misery. When it comes to something that we're doing that just isn't accomplishing God's great thing, because there's so many great things we can do. I worked in a men's clothing store, and I was taught by the assistant manager how to look busy. You see, because the manager wanted us always busy. And if I understood correctly, there were times when theoretically there was nothing for us to do. We had gotten everything done. We, you know, we had we had these stacks of pants, you know, and stacks of shirts, and we had this big board, and we'd shove it under, and we'd pull the stack out, and we'd straighten them up, and then we'd push it back. Well, the assistant manager says, "Look, when the manager comes around, if everything's done, just shove that board under there, and pull it out. Shove that board under there and pull it out until he walks away. Then you're cool." Okay. I think the boss thought somehow we were supposed to be making money for the company. I think he thought that was the purpose. Wow, that's radical. See, you know, frankly, busyness is more comfortable than ministry. Because busyness usually revolves around things we've already learned how to do and people we've already connected with, but ministry revolves around stretching out into some uncharted territory. I learned an interesting, an interesting description. I've always heard a different way, and I didn't agree with it. I say, people don't like change. You know what we don't like? We don't like the effort that comes with change. change the stuff we're doing, we know, and it's comfortable, and it's clear. But the stuff we, maybe we need to do is a little tough. But what's our purpose? Is our purpose to be comfortable Is our purpose to have a Christian country club? Or is our purpose to help people find peace and God's purpose in their lives? When we sit down to evaluate our progress, we ought to be seeing new believers and believers taking steps toward Christ. You know, we, we could chart out the whole Christian life and say, well, the first step a believer takes is baptism, and then here's some other steps, of, and we, we see this. We should be seeing that happen as well as people come in. And, and again, has that happened in eight years? Yes, it has. Could it happen more if we were more purposeful? 
I think the answer is yes. And that's what I want to challenge us to. And I also want to challenge myself to it as well. See, one of the things we have to, the second thing that we've got to do here, besides testing our work, is this. We've got to be more driven by mission than preference. And here is the challenging passage of Scripture. For though I am free from all men, this is the Apostle Paul talking, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. To the Jews I became as a Jew that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law as without law. Now, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ. That I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became as weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men that by all means I might save some. Would you read that with me? Um, verse 22, to the weak I became as weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Now the Apostle Paul knew that only God saved people. He knew that. He wrote that scripture too. But he also knew that we have a responsibility to reach out and to connect Now this I do for the gospel's sake. I am mission driven that I may be partaker of it with you. Do you realize how flexible Paul was? This is a guy raised in strict Judaism. Strict beyond the Old Testament. And when he got saved, he got so excited about the gospel, he said, now if I'm with a Jewish person and they're following all these rules, I follow it with them. But if I'm over here with a Greek guy and and he eats ham sandwiches, I'm eating a ham sandwich. I don't care about that. He was free in the Lord. He said, I'm free in the Lord, but I'm not going to use my freedom for my personal comfort and convenience. I am going to do what it takes to reach this guy, and I'm going to do what it takes to reach this guy, putting my personal preferences aside. Most of you have probably played a team sport at one time or another. Let me ask you, how how did Ferndale do Friday night, by the way? I haven't seen the paper. Nice. And you played quarterback? Nice. Did you score? No, bummer. Let me just ask you, Bo. What if you went to practice tomorrow and you said, you know, I really don't want to do these exercises that much. I would, you know, coach, I love playing. You know I love playing. And I'll do the passing drills, but I'm just going to really skip the exercise part. Do you think your coach would say, hey, no problem? Probably not. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. What is the goal of a sports team? To win the game. Duh. What is the goal of... Of the body of Christ, it's to glorify God by making more disciples. Is that going to take some exercise? Is that going to take some setting aside of personal preferences in order to reach other people? Is that going to take some sensitivity? I'm not talking about dumbing down the truth. I think you've learned in eight years that I'm all about the truth. But somehow... We have got to look at folks and say, what's it going to take? 
Do I need to eat the meat or not eat the meat, as the Apostle Paul would put it? What do I need to do to connect with them? Christianity is perhaps the only team on which we spend more time trying to make our own team members happy than we do trying to win the game. (laughs) If you don't understand that, just think about it a while and you will. You see, we ought to have spirited discussions about how to best reach people. Not about what color to paint the walls. And again, I'm not speaking out of a problem because we haven't had a problem. I'm speaking out of some stereotypical ones. I know in my previous church, way back years ago, they had a big window. And they they had a, a little putsy building before they built a nice one. And had this window right here in the preacher Looked like Moses coming down the mountain <laughs> when the noonday sun would shine. And so they said, we got to cover up that window. So they covered up that window and just about split the church. Now we can laugh about that because that's not our problem. Are you mission driven or personal preference driven? One of the most challenging thoughts I've had in, in one of the books that I read was this. Let me, just, let me put it in form of a question. Would I change, and I don't even want to use a specific thing because you'll think that's what I'm trying to do. Let me just put it generically. Would I change something in the church away from my preference to something else if it would reach the more of the people of Ferndale? Or let's put it this way, what would I be willing to change? Well, Dave, I would change this and this, but not that. Really? That's more important to you than people going to heaven? (laughs) Now, I don't know what those things are. I did not get a list at school. And I'm thankful that I wasn't taught a program to reproduce. And so I'm not coming in here with a list. Now, here's ten things we have to change. Oh, absolutely not. But I know one thing we have to do, and that is we've got to look around this community and stop assuming that everybody thinks like we think and start to say, how do the unsaved people of Ferndale and western Whatcom County think? And what would it take to make, as best we can, knowing that there is a stumbling block of the cross, how could we reach them better? I don't have the answer, I just have the question. And I know that's not real fun for you either, because I'm supposed to always have the answer. But that's the question I want you to ask yourself, and I want you to ask it in your neighborhood. And I've got to ask it in my neighborhood. I've never lived in a neighborhood like I do now, where there's people that I think we could reach for the Lord. And you know what I've done about it? About the same thing you have. Boy, I've got to do something different. I've got to figure out how I can befriend these people. What's it going to take? And I've got to stop wanting to make them like me. How can I just love them to the Lord? We need to be so committed to making disciples that we step back from our preconceived ideas of ministry and look at the mission field. When Tim and Esther went to Togo, if they'd have said... These people don't live like Americans. They're no good. We just said, what's wrong with you? Of course they're not like Americans. You've got to learn them. You've got to figure out how to get through to them. Well, duh. What about us? 
No responsibility for that? Mm. That's the Holland Tunnel going into New York City. Went to church on Saturday night last week, and we went to New York City on Sunday. Never been to New York City. Wanted to see the sights. So the folks that I was staying with, I, I stayed with a pastor friend. Used to be a pastor out here. He works for the school back there now. And he took us to New York City. One of our principal desires was to go and see, and, and of course it doesn't look like it used to, but this is ground zero where the trade towers went down. And uh, went and saw that little bit. And, and uh, you know, saw the sights just from afar, just kind of a, you know, a few-hour tour, if you will. But on the way there, um, my friend plugged in the, he looked on for the coordinates of ground zero on the map, on the computer, and he plugged that into his GPS unit, and he said, I'm here, and I want to go there. Boom, and the thing goes, turn, and he, he's programmed, programmed in a New Zealand woman to speak, and he can't quite understand the directions, which messed us up a little bit, a couple of times, but turn, turn right, turn left, and then when you take a wrong turn, she goes, recalculating, you know, now turn here, turn here. You know, amazing thing. I thought, wow, that's really cool. You, you know, Chuck, Chuck Honer, you could drive with one of these things. <laughs> you got the bumps in the middle, and you got the thing that says turn right right now, and you just turn, and you could do it. Chuck's legally blind, if you don't know that. But. The GPS told us how to get where we wanted to go. I know that if you're a Christian, you've been in our church for any period of time, you want to honor the Lord. I know you want that. We say that. We use that phrase, and we should use it. We're here to glorify God. What I'm telling you today is, our mission statement is how we get there. We get there by helping people become disciples. We get there by helping people know the peace and purpose of God. And so, as such, it needs to constantly guide the activity that's going on here. And it needs to guide the activity in our lives. We need to say, God, am I, am I participating with you? Am I working with you? Helping people find peace and purpose through relationship with you. Let's pray. Father, we all need to do better at this as individuals, and we need to do better as a church. Father, it's been our great privilege to see some people accept Christ and become disciples. Boy, that's such a joy and such a blessing. Father, we want to see that happen regular. We want to see it happen consistently. And so we just pray that you would help us as we, as we refocus our lives, we sharpen the focus of our lives and and participate with you in this great work that you've called us to. Father, thank you for our church. Bless us as we continue to do your work. I pray in Christ's name, amen.